Components, getting them regu through regulatory. It's not the, the easiest thing to do and you need capital to do it. And I was fortunate enough that I, I knew people that I can get capital from pretty quickly, right? And so I think people underestimate how hard it is to fundraise and how important that is to the success of, of, of a startup. And so that's definitely something to, to keep in mind and to kind of develop is, is, is kind of those, those connections that you can fundraise from. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part two of our interview with Phil Fung. Phil, in, in part one, we talked a lot about your, your latest company, kit.com, and, and your acquisition there, selling to Row. I think my question is, you know, Facebook is such a standout success in the tech world. And, you know, being engineer number 15 over there, I'm sure brings you uh, a different perspective versus what everybody says about what it was like in the early days and stuff like that. I'm interested in how some of those lessons from being there through just the hyper growth, how you've been able to bring those to other places of your career. Yeah, I think once, so obviously Facebook is, you know, one of those huge anomalies, right? With, with, with companies, right? How do you make this company just keeps growing and getting better and more valuable when it's only a handful of those, right? And so that lasts like, whatever it's 15 years now to, to, and still, it still is growing. And so I was lucky enough and definitely fortunate enough to, to kind of see that the, close to the beginning, I was at Stanford in the end of 05 and I was uh, walking to our computer science building and I ran into Mark Zuckerberg at the steps of the computer science building, trying to recruit people to work at Facebook. And so just got super lucky and, and ran into him and what did he, he say by the way? I mean, he just had a big sign that said, come work at Facebook. And he was just sitting there by himself. I think this was relatively early on, right, in the company where it, it was launched in a few schools. And so, and it, it had its growing pains, just like, you know, it, its predecessor, like Friendster, right, had, which which kind of ended up destroying Friendster, right? Like the, the scalability issues and the issues with how to make this super fast while you have so many so much growth. And so it was great that we ran into him and gave me his card and and we ended up just keeping in touch. And so that, that was really great. And so um, super lucky to, to be able to do that. But in terms of like what I learned, it was pretty interesting because as the company grew, it kind of still revolved about one person like Mark, right? And so he was very like singularly focused on the experience and making it better. And then other things I think were kind of like, left a little bit more to the side and whether it's like advertising or, you know, like other things, it's just like, how do you make something that people like and keep that going? And so just having that single focus, I think was something I learned pretty well. It's like, it doesn't really matter if you do, it's better to do one thing really, really well versus like five things mediocre. Right. And so that's one thing that really, especially if you, if you're starting a new company. Right. And so that something I learned pretty well at Facebook 
I mean, coming out of that as like a initial job and then seeing how like startups fail all the time, I, I, that, that's something I didn't learn well, right? And so it's definitely a huge anomaly, right, of, of something to go through. And so that, that's something I'm, you have to learn by yourself and that's okay. But it's, it's not, not, not very often you, you find a company like that to, to kind of get into. And so um, lucky enough to get through, go through that. That's, 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 it's been, it's been a fun, it was a fun journey and I'm just happy to go through it. Yeah. How many users do you think that they had when you started versus when you left? Just guesstimates. I think when I started, it was less than a million, but I don't remember how many. How many. But definitely much less than a million. And then when I left, we I think we crossed the billion when I left, but just crossed that. And so that was 2013. But now I think it's at two or two and a half billion. I'm not really sure at this point. I mean, there's only so many people in the world. <laughs> so you have to go after ants or something to, to get a bigger user base, right? But yeah, to see that growth is just amazing, right? We just never expected something like that. But yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not a, it's definitely not a, a thing you see all the time. Yeah. When, when you think about specifically that skill set of nailing the customer experience, having, having the product be something enjoyable, how did you incorporate that into a kit. Well, I, I kind of knew that. Was, so when, when I started kit, I, you know, had this idea about over the mail blood testing and making it easy. And I was lucky enough that I already had market fit going into the startup. So I think obviously that's really useful. If you don't have to, if you don't have market fit, it's just so hard to, to even go, go, go do anything else. Right. Cause that's, that's the bare minimum that you need. And question for you, and I didn't ask this on the previous episode, is it is it also quite a bit more cost effective for the insurance company because they're not paying a phlebotomist or they're not paying someone like that to draw the blood? Or is it yeah, cost um, parity or what's what's the go ahead. Yeah, so that that's a, that's a really good question. Um yes, it is like it's just it's it is slightly more cost effective to to have something sent in the mail obviously relative to a person. And as you scale up, I get, I, I think it even gets more, it, it gets, it, get, it gets even cheaper, right? At our scale, we're not nearly doing as many blood tests as like a, a quest is, right? And so it, it's not at that scale, but once, but even then we were cheaper, right? And so as you get to a bigger scale, yeah, it's just going to be dramatically cheaper to, well, to do this. And um, clinics you're not building, I, all sorts of things, right? Yeah, just not having a f- physical location. I think Quest and LabCorp spent so much. They're, they're one of their core competencies is having all these locations where you can go and have your blood drawn, right? And so, if you if you, which is a huge cost, it's not it's not the greatest experience as well. And so, if you are able to change that network of like, you know, having these the these little uh, drawing stations and having this network of trucks that routes the blood to the nearest lab and just replacing that with mail. It's a huge savings for sure. It does like rely on us having a really good postal mail system, which I think some countries don't have, right? And so it doesn't work everywhere, but I think we're fortunate enough to live in this, in a place where 
we do have like super fast mail, so it, it and cheap and relatively cheap, right? It's like highly subsidized by the U.S. government, and so it works super well here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about the experience for the user? You know, for like, I think about medical issues in my family, right? And we have lots of trips to the to the hospital for nothing other than to get the blood drawn. We don't need to see a doctor. We don't need anything else, and it's it's annoying. So there's obviously experience of do it at home, which I think for us would be really attractive, but even just like the box and the packaging and the ease of use or stuff, how did you think through some of those aspects? Yeah. So I think, I think we made a lot of, you know, I, w- I would say innovation in that. Um, we, I've used a lot of other over the mail kits in the past and as I did research. And one thing I found was that it's just super hard to, to use these kits and like we get this kit in the mail, you open it up and it basically has like maybe some a piece of paper with like little instructions on it and what to do. And it was just so much friction to, to, to kind of read through those instructions and read it carefully that I, I wouldn't think most people would get through it. And so instead of doing that, we decided to use an app. And so I think one thing that's really I think we came up with at Kit was you don't have any papers and instructions at all. First thing you do when when you open up the box, it says stop, don't do anything else, just download this app. And then from there, it just kind of guides you through the experience. And when you need help, it has a live agent that helps you mm. through the experience as well. And so it just makes the completion rate like an order of magnitude higher because of that. And so using the smartphone, and um, not relying on guiding the user is, is, is a huge part of the sample collection process. And I think that's underestimated when you think about at home, at home testing. It's like, like a lot of it is like if you, if you need to have the person do it themselves, you need to guide them effectively. And that's, that's not something I think most people got right. It just has to be super foolproof. Like we've had thousands of people uh, kind of usability test our, our kit and like every single step in the process has been like kind of optimized for completion. And so that's why I think it's really different. We get money from businesses when they can effectively replace their blood testing with a, with a box, but if they don't finish it, like there's, you know, it, it, if it's not as good, it's already, most people are already very skeptical coming into things. And so if they, if, if most patients can't finish it, then they're not going to use your product. Whereas a lot of these direct to consumer products, if you buy like an STD test or any type of test from a website, well, they don't make money if you finish the test, whether they make the same amount of money, whether you finish the test or not. And so they never had to get these things right. And for us, we were replacing like real use cases. And so it just forced us to, to work a lot harder on the experience. And so we, we, we spent most of our time just on every little nook and cranny of, of, of what the user did. And that, that, that's very time consuming, but actually, you know, it ends up being a very valuable tool once you learn it, cause you don't have to, yeah, you, you, you kind of gain that wisdom and, and use that to make the experience better. You know, I think there's a bunch of industries that could benefit from that. You know, like, I, I love my action sports, right? And my snowmobiles mm-hmm. feel like they're bulletproof. Like 
I, you know, I change the spark plugs once a year. I change a belt every year or two. <laughs> I like put mm-hmm. the oil and gas in and just, you know, like I, less maintenance in my car feels like. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. all my buddies were into like dirt bikes, dirt biking up in the mountains out here. Right. And there's so mm-hmm. much maintenance in dirt bikes. Like it's incredible. They want you to change the oil. Sometimes every ride, if you go on big, long rides and like, it's, it's like a serious hurdle and the shops are always full. It takes days or weeks to get your bike back if you want to take it in for everything. And um, like for people who grew up around their dad showing them all their growing up years and just kind of became second nature and they learned by watching, that's great. But like people like me who my dad was into gardening, my dad was into hiking, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I I look at this stuff and I'm like, I get so nervous the first time I've the first, I've had so many firsts of like changing a gasket. Like before I couldn't even told you for sure if dirt bikes had gaskets, right? And now I'm supposed mm-hmm. to replace mm-hmm. it. And you're like, yeah. I'm so concerned about doing it wrong and ending up like, you know, 30, 40 miles out into the forest and the thing blowing up or coming apart on me and I'm stuck in the middle. Like I have so much anxiety about completing. And like the manuals were like, it's just like a paper manual and it's using, often using terminology that I don't know. And like I have significant anxiety around my motorcycle maintenance, right? And I can't even mm-hmm. like go to classes. So like you can watch YouTube and like hope that somebody has your exact bike, your exact year, and is working on that exact issue. But the YouTube people like, you know, some of them have good video angles, some of them don't. And like otherwise it's go wait at the, sh- you know, go put it in the shop and pay a premium price and wait for two and a half or three weeks until they finally get to your bike, you know? And, uh, I'm so interested in the new electric bikes from KTM and stuff like this that just don't have that kind of maintenance. And like Yamaha is going to lose me because KTM has something that's just, it's kind of idiot proof. And apparently I'm an idiot, you know? <laughs> that's amazing is it is it ktm I, I don't know much about their prices ktm an american company or a japanese company or they are oh. uh austrian austrian yeah okay they're very that, that's new to me. they're kind of okay. like the premier bike for like enduro you know them and husqvarna which is the same company now are kind of like like the hard like the like red bull hard enduro races like crazy up the mountains off this jump over these boulders through the through the river kind of bikes ktm is very well known but but i can tell you their gasoline bikes require even more maintenance than my yamaha but now that they've got like a an electric dirt bike that's that's actually kind of awesome i think that they'll have a shot of like you know unless honda and suzuki and everybody can come out with them quick like i think there's a bunch of non-dirt bike people that would consider it when they don't have to figure out what a gasket is and how to change one you know yeah, for sure. I think like that is pretty amazing. Like I think the event of the whole brushless motor and like being able to do a strong engine off of a brushless motor that I think, I don't know, I, the first time I seen it was on a skateboard, like a boosted board a couple of years ago. That's it's just amazing what what you can do with an so electric motor, torque, right? And so much torque. I don't know who invented this. I have no idea what happened. But like when I first saw it, I was like, how can you do this? How can you pull a person on a, on a skateboard? Right. And so like with a battery, like a regular lithium battery. So yeah, it's so amazing. I feel like there's so many, there's already been so many applications from scooters and 
obviously cars and things like that. I think what's actually interesting about it is how behind I think Japan is on the electric movement. I mean, um, Toyota and Honda and all those uh, folks really doubled down on hydrogen as the next generation of, of engines. And I think they're still trying to do it, even though that, that it's obviously not going to happen. Right. And so maybe that's happening with Yamaha as well. Like it's just like, they're not just, they're not embracing electric as much as everyone else in, in the world is for but, sure. But I, even if they're not going to do that, could they at least learn from you and build me an app? Like, I know how much they spend so much money on their promotion materials and stuff. Could they just make some YouTube videos about here's how to not screw up your oil change. Here's how to change the gasket. Like you are for sure going to wreck your hand grips because you're going to drop it into the tree, into the dirt, into the gravel. And like you're going to wreck your bike and your grips are going to get ripped. Like here's the smart way to do it. Like they could just give me an app with like the most common things you're going to do yourself. And what's funny is like, I have no shame that I'm not a car mechanic. I like my car breaks. I take it in. They fix it. Right. But in the motorcycle community, there's like this, like, it's like, uh, they might take away your man card if you don't know how to fix some things on your dirt bike, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could see that. And yet there's so little instruction for new people. And I think, I think it has to reduce their sales to have such a barrier for people to get into the sport. Yeah, that 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 definitely makes sense. Also, it's like a source of pride, right? I guess for the people that have learned, like they're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm I special. have the special power, right? Yeah, I'm special. So I think that that has seems to have something to do with it as well. But like, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty amazing how 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 you can switch to something that's very similar but just much better in a certain way and. It's just great for everyone. So, you know, it's only been a couple of years, right? Since this, this brushless motor thing happened and everything's using it. So I'm, I'm super excited about where that's heading. I kind of like doing like physical stuff more than software these days, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, you've had a, you've had a pretty unique career to this point. I'm interested in, I'm interested in what you think are another one of like the most important lessons either to investing or to building a startup that maybe not everybody focuses on enough. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people that are building startups. I think a lot of the obvious ones they can point out to, I think for me, some things that I think are unique to me that I think are pretty important. I think one of them is I was able to 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 kind of get funding quickly, and especially for something that's more capital intensive, like building a lab, building physical components, getting them regu- through regulatory. It's not the the easiest thing to do, and you need capital to do it. And I was fortunate enough that I, I knew people that I can get capital from pretty quickly, right? And so. I think people underestimate how hard it is to fundraise and how important that is to the success of, 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 of a startup. And so that's definitely something to, to keep in mind and to kind of develop is, is, is kind of those, those connections that you can fundraise from. And I feel like the number one reason I see most startups fail is, at least I see, is they just run out of money, right? And so being able to kind of know when you're starting to run out of money and being able to start fundraising early. I think that's, that's super important. 
And yeah, I think most of the times a lot of a lot of new founders are just worried about the product and market fit, which obviously is very important. And if you get it right, you don't have to think about this stuff at all. And investors come to you, but if not, and you inevitably hit that that snag where you're kind of in a rough place where you know your startup could have could fail before it reaches its full potential, just knowing to fundraise early for that next round is super important. So that's one thing I learned. I think for, uh, similar to that on, on the capital note, being super frugal is really important. You know, I, you need a lot of people to run a lab. And so we started out with a lot of part-timers, right? And so instead of full-timers and, and, and using that kind of leverage and using consultants is a good way to get yourself off the ground rather than hiring full-time people. I think you can make the mistake really early if, as uh, I did in the previous startup that just hire a bunch of people, raise a lot of money, hire a bunch of people, but you know, the money goes fast if, cause you have to pay everyone's salary. Right. And so just being careful with that and being careful with how many people you hire and not growing too quickly, I think is definitely part of the, the issue of like, how do you, how do you can use your capital wisely? Let's see. I think other things I've learned, I feel like B2B startups, SaaS startups are, are just easier to quote unquote succeed in than direct to consumer, right? Direct to consumer, you either make it big or you don't. And for B2B, you could kind of uh, fall, you could kind of fall in the middle and still do well, right? And so it could last for a very long time. So I think for, for, for those that are just trying their first startup, I've just seen so many friends go into D to C thinking they'll be the next like Facebook or Google and this is like not going to happen. Right. And it's just that this is the, the, it, it's, everything's concentrated around a couple of, of, of companies and it's just hard, but doing B2B it, it's painful in many ways, but I think it's easier to, to make a quote unquote success out of things. That's great. So those are, yeah, yeah those are the two other lessons I think. Going back to your first one, when it comes to funding, What's, what's mm-hmm. one of your principles of fundraising that you think maybe not everybody does well? Yeah, like I said before, I think the big one I, I've learned is like just be raising, like starting to raise early for the next round or for, for your bridge or whatever it is. Like I think like pe- people too often wait till the end to do that. And I think the second one is like, if you know, having a good network, like, will is makes at least the seed rounds and maybe even the A round a lot easier than not knowing people. So again, like a lot of the soft skills, like you said, like pitching, networking, it's actually, unless you have like this dynamite idea that like just goes, you know, that just explodes. It's like really important to, to, to know people and to just have that network around to like kind of fund you through the bad times so you could get to the good times. So those are things I would, I think are, are kind of the core lessons that, that, that I've learned and I think would be, would be helpful. Yeah. You know, I, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts too about, you know, there, there were other folks that were at Facebook early, right? And not all of them have gone on to, to, build companies that uh, are worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Um, what do you think you've done differently than other folks to, to achieve so much success? I, 
I mean, I'm just kind of following my heart. I, I don't know if I've done a lot, have, have had success, but I, I feel like I'd like to, a lot of people say this, but I like to build new things, right? And so, like, I have, you only are on this earth for a couple of years. And so I try to, I, I think it's really important that I try to make, make a difference in whatever way I can. And so I, I never try to go after ideas that are already out there. Like, I, I want to do things that have, in this case, maybe a social impact as well. So that's important to me. I know a lot of people that, you know, that maybe that's not their priority. Maybe they just want to be with their family and so forth. So I think I just really feel strongly that I want to kind of make a difference and make, make a company that does that. And so maybe that's part of things, which is why I headed down this route. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, what's, what's something that we didn't talk about? What's something you're passionate about or something that you think would be good to share that we haven't covered? Let's see. Well, there's a lot of things I'm kind of passionate about that are outside of entrepreneurship and outside of healthcare. I think things around diversity, I'm pretty, I have some, strong views on that to kind of spend some money on things like the Sundance Film Festival to kind of encourage like diverse voices out there. But I think that that's movements kind of has its own momentum already these days. So that's one thing I like to talk about or think about education. It's another thing I like to think about too. What, what aspect of but it? Those are kind of like my, well, I feel like, you know, I grew up in New York and I think the educational system there is pretty good for a system that has like millions of kids going through it. And it's dramatically changing right now. And so is the San Francisco school system in general too. Like that a lot of the, the, the kind of great schools out there are kind of declining because of, of, of the kind of policies they put in place. So that previously a lot of these, these, these institutions were, 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 based on grades and based on tests, right? And then things like that to kind of gauge your, the merit to, to enter these schools. And now that's all kind of changing. SF is no low high school, which is, I think the, the big high school out here that's public that used to be entrance space is now purely, it's just like random as far as I can tell, which is crazy. Right. And so um, they're trying to do that in New York city as well and tap in a lot of other high schools as well throughout the country. So I think that's like one of the things I'm not too, too happy about, like is how education has kind of changed a lot in terms of giving those that don't have opportunity, a lot of opportunity to make it based on just doing well in school. So stuff like that, I, I feel I, I have my point of view on things like that. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, so I, I think those are some things I'm pretty interested in. But in terms of like entrepreneurship and things like that, I feel like, yeah, healthcare, I think is a really interesting realm to be in. It's also really hard. It, it's really hard to kind of get into it because there's so much regulation. I would say like, again, 80% of doing a healthcare company's regulation or even more than that. Like you could have a great idea that works that you know that works, but maybe you'll never get through the FDA or you'll never get a license to, to do what you want. Right. And so 
I think like navigating that and understanding that is a skill in itself that probably applies to other places as well. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think obviously there's a lot of other interesting industries as well. But for me, I find that super interesting uh, about this space. And I hope uh, there's more folks who could try out healthcare and see if they can make a difference there. Because I think that's it's, it's quite an interesting place to be. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody listening today works at a big insurance company or somebody, like who, who's the ideal client for kit.com? So for Kit, we, like I said, our, our company replaces the need to go to a clinic or to have a phlebotomist come over your house to do blood testing and just allows the, the person to get a box in the mail and just do the full medical exam by, by self-service. And so I think this is pretty relevant to a lot of industries. A lot of healthcare providers could use this to cut down on costs. They could also use this to kind of quote unquote re-engage their patients so that they're kind of more in sync with what their patients needs and to make sure that people are just healthy. Like, like if a big insurance company wants to, has the incentive to keep their patients healthy, which, you know, I hope everyone does, then monitoring is a good way to do that. And, and so, yeah, any company that needs to, to do health monitoring and is feeling the pain of that and they can just turn to a solution like kit to help them solve their problems and make their patients more engaged and healthier that's great well listen uh i appreciate you making the time for this it's been fun to reconnect thank you so much jess really appreciate your time you bet okay bye everyone